the Grim Tidings podcast. It's the Writer's Pit. I am your host, blogger, writer, and purveyor of all things awesome, Rob Matheny. And I am uh, something, 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 Philip Overby. <sighs> Profound. And here we are for another edition of the Writer's Pit, and tonight we have a special guest with us. We have blogger, family man, free thinker, and author, Charles McGarry. Charles, welcome to the show, sir. Thanks very much, Rob. Glad to be here with you guys tonight. Yeah, it's great to have you on the program tonight. So we're going to talk uh, self-publishing. We're going to talk promotion, marketing, all sorts of things could come up in the conversation tonight. Uh, but Charles, you are an author and you wrote a, a book recently that was released. It's called Dragon Shorts, a collection of outlandish tales. And it is a fantasy compendium of short fiction of yours. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. It, it was kind of a while in the making. I went through various different iterations of the title before I uh, finally came up with uh, Dragon Shorts, a collection of outlandish tales. Uh, Dragon Shorts was what I always wanted to call it, but the subtitle, I, I went back and forth on a few different things, uh, one of which was uh, Outlandish Oddities and Terse Tales, but that kind of seemed too much of a mouthful, so I eventually condensed it. But, uh, yeah, it's a book of just random stories that uh, just started coming to me, and, and I, I wrote them down. But they weren't stories that I would necessarily say I could make a, a huge epic out of. Uh, so I decided to put them into a book of short stories. So what is your, uh, what is your interest in dragons specifically? What makes you want to write about dragons? I know dragons are a very popular topic in the fantasy uh, realm. So, uh, what, maybe what, what kind of dragons do you like? And do, do you write about different kinds of dragons or just one specific kind? I absolutely love dragons. We, uh, it's partly the, the mystique surrounding dragons, uh, they're, they're very mysterious, they're very wise, uh, they're very powerful and very terrifying. Uh, and, uh, you know, some of them are, uh, are very magical, they have magical powers. And uh, there, there's so much that I could say about dragons that I like, but uh, just one of the most fascinating creatures in all of fantasy for me, uh, you know, going back with uh, Smaug from, uh, from The Hobbit. And just uh, so many different tales, uh, the Dragon Riders of Pern from Anne McCaffrey and uh, the uh, Inheritance Cycle with Christopher Paolini and his dragons there. I, I just had this long, long drawn out fascination with dragons and dragons of all kinds. Anything from your, uh, your typical four-footer with wings to, uh, to wingless dragons to, uh, to the wyvern types that have the you know that uh, that their front legs have the wings attached to them uh oriental dragons chinese uh celtic dragons uh, it, you give me a dragon i like it <laughs> now you've got a collection of short fiction in dragon tales now what type of fantasy is is the slant now from looking at the cover of the title i, I it looks like it implies some sort of a comedic slant on the the tales inside it is it's like heroic fantasy comedic fantasy what sort of uh uh, niche fantasy uh, does your tales uh, do your tales um, have? Yeah, they uh, they appeal to uh, all different kinds, really. Um, 
there's some uh, there's some serious classic fantasy. There's uh, comedic elements in a lot of the stories. Uh, there's some some stories that are more comedic than others. Uh, some would be considered more of an urban fantasy. Uh, some would be considered uh, darker fantasy uh, or uh, very cynical fantasy in some ways. Uh, so so there's a wide range of of stories in these books. So I uh, I like all kinds. Would you consider any of your stories to have a grim dark slant to it at all or uh yeah, definitely there's a couple of them. Uh at the very end of the book, the final story in my book is kind of a lead-in to one of the epics that I'm writing uh, and it's called uh, Dragonfall. Uh that one I would probably say is the closest to what would be considered grim dark. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's another one as well uh, called The Ink Master. It's about a tattoo artist with, uh, with arcane powers. He can, he can shape the destiny of his patrons uh, uh, by, by the tattoos that he uh, embeds in their skin. So that one's not as dark as Dragonfall, though. It's just more uh, strange and, frankly, just kind of weird. Uh, I don't know what I was on that night or how many, if I had one, one too many glasses of wine, but who knows. It's, uh, <laughs> uh, so those two I would consider uh, leaning that way, but probably more so Dragonfall. So then you like writing short fiction and, and now you're writing uh, longer pieces at this point? I am, yeah. I, I never initially set out to write short fiction. It wasn't something that I, I really felt I would be good at um, interestingly enough, but I, I had been working on an, uh, one of my epics for a long time now, uh, and, and I, just, I just got to this point where I was having trouble writing it. Uh, I just couldn't come up with anything, and then all of a sudden on the side, all of these ideas for these short stories kind of started flowing in, and I'm like, well, maybe I'll take a few of these and see where they go in terms of an epic and it just wouldn't happen and it was kind of a strange thought for me to think about doing a short story because i would really be taking a risk i mean people like neil gaiman put out short story books <laughs> they're, they're already well established in the industry they, they put out short story books or uh, george R. R. martin people like him put out short uh, short story compendiums but for a newbie on the scene i was like do I really want to do this? <laughs> but I, I just couldn't see any other way to do it. And then you decided to uh, eventually self-publish the title. What was the reasoning behind pursuing self-publishing versus, say, traditional publishing? Uh, well, a lot of things, really. One of which was uh, all the research I was doing into both sides. And the the industry has really kind of uh, flipped, so to speak. It uh, there There's so much more opportunity for up-and-coming authors for self-publishing versus traditional publishing. And I'm not by any means opposed to traditional publishing. If something came across my lap that was just too too good to pass up, I would definitely go for it. But uh, one of the websites that that I frequented heavily during my research was uh, the creativepen.com and a pen with two N's. And uh, uh, the author's name is Joanna Penn, and she does a lot of prolific writing on uh, on self-publishing and her experiences. And she's also done some traditional publishing. Uh, but when I looked into the research, um, there were a lot of benefits to self-publishing, one of which I really liked was 
being able to have full control of my rights to the stories and also uh, the only deadlines that I was tied to was my own. <laughs> yeah. So I, I didn't have to work with publishers' deadlines and uh, the opportunity to not have to have a middleman. You know, I was... I was the only guy they were getting the books from, uh, of course, with the exception of Amazon. But uh, just a lot of benefits. And I really got to make the story the way I wanted it without having people telling me, other than, dude, your editing really sucks. Uh, <laughs> other than that, I, I wouldn't have people telling me, okay, I want you to change this and maybe add this in. It, it was really what I wanted it to be versus what somebody else was telling me to make it. So what is um what is your experience so far with you know promoting yourself like as a self-publisher because you know I recently uh self-published short story that's kind of my path at the moment is I'm trying to release a short story once every couple of months mm-hmm. and uh it's a slow build for sure but I'm kind of trying to brand myself I guess but for self-publishers promoting and getting getting your work uh, in the hands of people is obviously a lot harder and you have to spend a lot more time kind of, you know, digging through shit to find the right way to promote without being annoying or the right way to promote without wasting your time. So what's kind of your experiences with, you know, trying to get your book in front of people? Yeah. Yeah. Good question. That has been the biggest challenge that I've found is the marketing piece. Um, because with a lot of the marketing uh, through social media nowadays, you know they they really they really stress the importance of paying for your ads to be put in front of people, and uh, so if you're if you're trying to go it alone without having to pay for the advertising, uh, that becomes a real challenge, especially with Facebook. I've found that Facebook has probably been the hardest one for me to market on. Uh, Twitter uh, has actually been pretty good for me, um, although I haven't gotten a lot of sales out of Twitter yet, but uh, Twitter seems to have the better design for uh, for excessive uh, promotion, although I try not to do that either because I don't want to just flat out annoy people, but uh, Facebook seems to be the one that they just won't really show a whole lot unless you pay for it, so... I've started learning and investing more of my time in Twitter. Um, I do also do uh, I also do Pinterest, although the marketing thing on Pinterest, I'm still kind of trying to figure out how that's really helpful. Google Google Plus, I I rarely do much on, but sometimes I do. Uh, I'm I'm still learning uh, the whole marketing piece. That really is the hardest thing for me. Yeah, I think what. I think what I've learned almost is, uh, you know, a, a lot of authors focus on, say, the editing and then having a good blurb and then having uh, a good cover. And these are all very important. But one thing that I'm becoming more passionate about is uh, possibly having a budget for marketing. Mm-hmm. And I think when I release a bigger work like a like a novel that I want to really get in front of people then I have to factor in, I, I may have to pay money in order to market to people other than just on my social media, because social media isn't necessarily uh, always the only place to, you know, find an audience. So right. um, that's one thing I've been thinking a lot about is like, okay, 
having a great cover is is obviously good and and having polished work is super important Mm -hmm. but i think if the marketing is kind of limited then uh there's only so much you can expect and that's that's something i've learned myself is like the the sales dry up pretty quick when you stop talking about your work yeah they really do yeah they they do dry up pretty quick um and uh one of the other pieces that i'm that I'm trying to figure out. Uh, well, there's there's a couple of them really, but the the hard. I think the hardest thing is getting people when you do post on social media to share it. Uh, and I'm trying to figure out tactful ways to to say, you know, when I make a post on Facebook, for instance, to say, hey, you know, please share this post with your friends. Please, uh, you know, please share about my book. And and then on the flip side, please review my book because. Amazon's really an interesting animal. Uh, uh, the majority of their algorithms are based off of, of how many reviews you get on, on the book. That's what really uh, – I, I read something the other day that said um, if you get five reviews, uh, that's great. But it takes about 30 or 40 reviews before Amazon will, will start suggesting it to people. Uh, so it – you know, it, it really is about figuring out ways to get people to share your work and to actually review the book. Yeah, the whole marketing piece is interesting. Um, I, I think you've got a good idea, Philip, uh, putting together a marketing budget. That was something that I didn't really do uh, that I probably should have done. I put together a budget as far as how much I was going to spend for self-publishing my book uh, The guy that did my cover did it for $200, and uh, I purchased my own own ISBN numbers so that I could publish under my own imprint of Eccentric Dragon Press, but I didn't really put together a marketing budget. So so you're you're, you're on the right track there, man. You went up to me there. (laughs) I can't stress how important sharing is in regards to social media and promoting a product. I've learned myself with the podcast that the lifeblood of this thing is getting people enthused enough to share the content with other people. So it's, it's very important that people not only love the content and appreciate it, but the best way that anybody can, can show the love is to share it. And of course, leaving reviews for, for authors as well. Cause like, uh, like you said, Charles, those algorithms, you know, are looking for certain things and, and reviews are, are vital. And we talked about it on, a previous show too, you know, just how important it is to make sure you're living reviews for, for these authors. And, uh, and it's definitely helpful. And I'm all about um, doing the most that I can to support artists in their art and their craft. And that's, that's two ways that people can do it. And I, even I have a marketing budget uh, for the podcast, a, a small monthly amount. But in order to get exposure on Facebook these days, um, if you have, if you are a business or a quasi business, then uh, the Facebook al- algorithms also have requirements too. And a lot of times, those page posts are not going to be seen unless you pay Facebook even a small fee to to get exposure. So money is the name of the game, at least for for Facebook at this point. For Twitter, I found that. Definitely, it's okay to make some noise over there. I think it's 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 not set up like Facebook to where you're scrolling through and you're seeing like the last hour or two of what people are up to. But with with Twitter, you're seeing the last ten or fifteen minutes. So I've even I'm even endeavoring it at this point, at least for the podcast, when it comes to marketing, to probably post something every two hours between the hours of say eight a.m. and eight p.m. Monday through Friday. That's how right. that's how 
appropriate and aggressive I've found that Twitter can be at this point. And you can still not be obnoxious if done correctly and you're not tagging or over tagging or, or whatnot. It's, you have to be careful about it, but you can definitely be aggressive, far more aggressive on Twitter than you can on Facebook. And you can do it for, for less money, at least uh, on Twitter. I really need to be better about um, doing regular blogs. Like uh, I've uh, I've kind of put aside my uh, my written blog for a little while lately, and I've been focusing on uh, video blogging. And uh, yeah, I saw that you had a, a new post today. I think. Yeah, yeah, I, I posted about the Ink Master actually, and uh, so I've been focusing on that. But I I know I need to keep up my written blog too, so that so that I continue to get the exposure that way. Yeah, you got to keep constantly at it. You're right. Keep grinding. Exactly. <laughs> It's hard to, you know, figure out what what is working for you and what isn't working and and also where best to spend your time. Like is it best to spend time writing a lot more, you know, writing more books or is it best to spend time working on blogs or focusing on Twitter or Facebook? So the common thing that people have said a lot to me is the best marketing you can do is just keep writing more stuff. That's one thing I see come up a lot is like the more stuff you write, the more chance that somebody if somebody likes it, then they'll say, oh, well, he has this other thing. I'll try that, too. And then, oh, he's got this other thing. And it's like the trail of uh, M&Ms or whatever. Oh, an M&M. Oh, an M&M. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. In regards to yeah. your uh, writing process uh, there, Charles, getting to the nuts and bolts of that a little bit, are you a, a pantser? Are you an outliner? What sort of process do you have when it comes to <laughs> crafting your outlandish fantasy fiction? I am definitely a pantser. Uh, I do come up with the bare bones sketches of my main characters, usually right at the beginning. And so I will outline the characters a little bit, but as far as the story goes, I am a full-on pantser. I just I just sit down and I write, and then I go back and 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 uh, you know organize the shit later. I just let it fly, and then uh, and then uh, bring it back around and go back through and and uh, edit and throw out what I think I really shouldn't have written and add stuff in. But uh, I've never been able to really uh, to really outline it. I tried when I was first started writing, and it just didn't work. I can outline a blog, like I can do my I can do my three main points on a blog or something like that. But uh, I find I can't do that with a book. You mentioned uh, before the show that you use Scrivener. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Scrivener, when I've talked to people and I've used it before, it seems to be something that people that like outlining or organizing a lot of stuff seem to be really in love with because they, they can have so many different things going on and so many different resources to look at while they're writing the main body of their work. Mm-hmm. So as, as a pantser, how do you sort of utilize Scrivener if you're not outlining or doing any of that kind of stuff? Like what, what are some ways you use it, use some of the elements of the software? I definitely don't use all of the elements uh, being a pantser. Some of the elements that Scrivener has in it just don't appeal to someone that isn't really big on outlining. Uh, but there are some of the things that I find hugely advantageous. I do use the uh, character uh, section where I'll, you know, I'll, I'll put a different note for each of my characters and I'll and I'll I'll do a the basic character sketch in that document and I'll have that off to the side. And then I'll put some little notes for each scene on the on the notepad on the other side of the screen. There's one section that I will 
put uh, my my definitions in. Uh, like with my latest book that I'm working on right now, there, I'm using a lot of different words. And that's the beauty of fantasy, by the way. I mean, you can just come up with this wild and strange word or name just out of left field. And you're like, oh, that sounds pretty damn good. But somebody's going to read it and think, okay, what the hell does that mean? <laughs> so, uh, so I have a little glossary off to the side that I will write the word and then I'll write the definition or the pronunciation of the name if it's something like that, which I may even find a way to incorporate into the book at some point. Not too long ago, I read uh, Dragon Wing by Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman and uh, mm -hmm. the Death Gate Cycle books. And uh, those books, they actually they actually use footnotes uh, sparingly, but they do use them. And uh, so I was talking with my editor the other day, and, and I said, what do you think about footnotes in fiction? And, and she's like, well, it, it might work. It, I, I can see how it would be helpful. So, uh, so I keep that glossary off to the side, and I, I may use it for footnotes notes in the future. I haven't really decided how I'll go about that. But there's some books I read and I'm like, okay, it would really be helpful to have a glossary because I don't know what the heck you're saying. For example, like I really, I really love uh, Steve, Steven Erickson's, you know, Malzahn Book of the Fallen series. There's so many like different ascendants and planes of existence and there's these magical warrens and all this kind of stuff that uh, all these different houses that you got to keep up with. And, <laughs> and, uh, luckily he has, you know, a pretty extensive compendium at the front of the, the front of the book. So mm -hmm. if you get, if you get lost, like what, what the fuck is this? <laughs> you can <laughs> yeah. kind of go back and, ah, oh, that guy. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. It was kind of like that with the, with the song of ice and fire for me. I'm, I, I always found myself every once in a while going back to the appendix in the book to figure out, okay, what family and house do they come from and who is this again? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, George uh, George has kindly provided us with help in that arena. You have to keep track of who's who's dying. Yeah. Like, okay, okay. <laughs> uh, which house was this dead guy from? Let's go, yeah. let's go check it out. <laughs> yeah, so true. Um, yeah, so those are those are some of the minimal things uh, that I that I use Scrivener for when I'm in the writing process. The thing that I like the most about Scrivener, I think, is that I can break it down by chapters and scenes within the chapter, and uh, I can put notes on the main slide for the scene without having it show up in the scene itself. I can just put little notes to myself. And then when you go to compile it, it takes all your chapters and your scenes and it puts everything together for you. Now, it's not flawless. I had to go back through and edit the PDF and, you know, kind of figure out, okay, you know, how, how do I fix this so it looks like I want it to look? But for the most part, the compile feature is awesome. It'll compile it for PDF, for Kindle, you know, the Mobi format. It'll uh, it'll compile it for pretty much any format you want it to. Now, speaking of Scrivener, as far as self-publishing goes, Charles, what would be maybe the top two or three tools or websites or recommendations that you would have for people who are on the cusp of self-publishing? Maybe somebody's got a novel together and they want to get it out on the market. What what are maybe the top three things that you would suggest to them that they could utilize to, to maximize on the release of their self-published work? There's the creativepen.com. There is um, uh, Boker is another one, uh, B-O-W-K-E-R. That's where 
that's where most people go to purchase their ISBN numbers. So if you're wanting to self-publish and you don't want to use the create space as your imprint through Amazon, uh, you're required to purchase your own ISBN numbers. And uh, it, it can be costly, so you've got to plan for it. I, I purchased a pack of 10 for 125 Wow. Uh, and it's normally, it's 100 for one, but then if you buy the 10-pack, it's 125 So it's definitely worth the investment, especially if you plan on writing more books in the future, which I did. So the, the top three resources, I, I definitely say the creativepen.com, Boker for the numbers. Boker has some other packages as well that are helpful for self-publishers. If you want to go that route, they have some other good stuff. And Book Design Templates was, was the other one. I've heard Fiverr is good if you want to get somebody to design a, a cover for you for cheap. Yeah, I know somebody that used uh, Fiverr for their cover, and it looked pretty good. It wasn't, it didn't look shitty or anything. So. <laughs> yeah, that's good. You were talking earlier about uh, the importance of having a good cover. Yeah, I, I can't, I can't stress that enough. I, that I, I went into it saying, if nothing else, I'm going to make the, my make sure that my cover does not look like shit. Because <laughs> uh, I want people to look at now. I did just recently read a book, and the cover was horrible, but it had awesome Amazon reviews. So there's the, the review thing again. So I'm like, okay, it's 99 cents. I'll go for it, see what it's like. And it was an awesome read. But the cover's terrible. Yeah, that's the difficulty with uh, with covers is because that can turn off a lot of people. Like, I mean, it could just be a slight thing. Like, I don't like the way uh, the letter Q looks. I don't like the font. <laughs> right. So, fuck it, I'm not buying it. It's just it. a <laughs> shade too purple. Yeah. Yeah. But I wanted to ask you about uh, print versus ebooks. Have you noticed any drastic difference between the amount of ebooks you've sold and the amount of print books you've sold? Because I know that's one thing uh, some people talk about a lot. I have noticed uh, a difference. I uh, surprisingly enough, I've or not surprisingly, I've sold a lot more print editions than I have the ebooks. And some people have told me that, well, you know, if you had started out selling just the ebook and waited for the print edition, which I guess Amazon recommends that you do, I, I didn't know that, but then you might have sold a lot more ebooks. But even as big as ebooks are, it seems like a lot of people still really like to hold that book in their hand. And it makes perfect sense. I I'm like that too. So a lot of the print editions, though, were uh, were people that uh, already knew it was coming, like some of my friends or my coworkers, and they they especially wanted the print edition so they could get me to autograph it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so far I've sold a lot more print than ebook. The only disadvantage is you get a lot more, uh, especially if you're in the Kindle Select Publishing uh, Club, you get a lot more royalties on your ebook than you do for a print edition. But uh, I, can't, I knew that going in because uh, print costs and everything, they've got to they've make that up. Yeah, I think I used to be, I guess when I was younger, I was really anti-self-publishing. I guess this was before it really kind of became a more viable venue it was kind of more like vanity publishing before. So I was like, yeah, I'm not going to do that. And then as it got more popular, then I kind of thought about it more and I was still kind of like, man, maybe I don't want to do that, you know, but then, um, you know, this year I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to try 
something different. And I know enough people that have done it and been happy with it. There's still part of me that I definitely want to do traditional publishing also. I want to be more of like a hybrid kind of writer that kind of appeals to me more than just being kind of one or the other. For me, traditional publishing is still a goal, but I kind of see self-publishing as also uh, a goal to continue to pursue. It's like two different parallel goals that I'm pursuing at the same time, kind of. Yeah, it's it's definitely definitely nice to have the options open anyway. When I was doing my research, um, I found that a lot of they they wanted to make sure and stress the fact that you don't want to go completely solo. You want to have a team of people that are that are working with you to make the dream happen. So, uh, you know, not just doing everything yourself, but making sure that you that you have a professional artist and a really good editor and things like that. So more of a team effort, more of a collaborative effort and and my editor is just uh, she's amazing she's a friend as well but she is just brilliant and of course my artist uh, matt at long dog art is brilliant it's a whole new world for self-publishing i think really it's a lot more prestigious than it used to be in any case yeah i think so also that uh, i mean the, the only thing that sometimes confuses me is like people that are hardcore one way or the other there are people that are hardcore self-publishers and and they say you know traditional publishing must die and we must tear down the fabric of reality or whatever right (laughs) and then but on the other hand there's kind of people that look at self-publishing and they say ah it all it's all shitty and it's a big (laughs) mire of of horrible shit or whatever and to me i don't understand that kind of extreme too extreme so i guess i'm kind of in the middle i like to see both sides objectively and like you said like when it suits your needs you have to kind of decide okay this would be maybe better self-published and this would be better going for a traditional publisher i think charles has a has a great approach um i must say because uh, there is definitely a high signal-to-noise ratio. There are a fucktillion of books on Amazon right now. And there I think if you're, if you're going to actively self-publish, I think you need to spend a little money to make a little money. And you need to invest in your title as much as possible. Like we talked earlier about having a, having a, a, a schnazzy cover. I think, yes, do not do yourself a disservice and just design your own cover, <laughs> open up paint on windows and throw some <laughs> logos together, you know, and half-ass it. There's a lot of people who spend lots of money to make sure that their cover is fucking spot on and not some sort of, you know, uh, paint <laughs> sort of Picasso mess um, that, that has no no design concept or anything to it. Um, and then, yes, um, having an editor, getting a professional editor to go over that work to make sure every damn word um, should be on the page and to, and that's very helpful as well. Um, but no, you need, if you're going to put your book on the market, in my opinion, I think, yes, you should be putting forth the effort to make sure that you're firing off on all cylinders. And that's just, that's just a part of it. And then like we mentioned earlier, the marketing and promotion aspect too, that's going to take a little money as well if you want to make some noise. Um, and then again, at the end of the day, it's going to come down to, do you have a good story to tell? Do you have something that's going to resonate with readers that they're going to to like and read and purchase and become a fan and continue to purchase? And as we know, um, tastes vary these days. Uh, for example, the success of the one and only E.L. James, who has literally sold for trillion books of the 50 shades of gray series and then the brand right. new gray book that just came out she's in my opinion not writing anything 
of much literary merit. I'll put it gently to say the least. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But that's what people are buying. And, yeah. and there's this balance of, well, it's shit, but she's selling a bunch of copies. So does it really matter? Um, yeah. But I, I am an artist through and through. I think the art should be the best it could be. It, it could possibly be. And, and as long as it's the artist is, is true to their heart and true to their work, then I think that's, that's what matters. But yes, you need a good story, but yes, if you're going to self publish, you need to put some muscle into it. You need to wax on wax off. And you need to uh, you need to to bring your A game if you're going to be successful. At least I think you should. I agree. I think if you do it right, it could turn into a deal. I mean, you know, uh, Amazon has their own um, small publishing house venue as well. So people have gotten picked up from uh, starting out with self publishing, and then they've gotten picked up by by Amazon's publishing house, or uh, or like uh, you know Christopher Paolini. We mentioned him earlier. He he self-published Aragon, and then he got picked up by by one of the big five, and mm-hmm. um, or by one of the sub houses of one of the big five, I think it was. But uh, yeah, so it, it's not unheard of to start self-publishing and then get picked up. But but yeah, you got to have good quality stuff out there, or it's not gonna. <laughs> it won't. It won't do that. <laughs> For your next book, is there anything you would do differently when you release when you release the next book, like? any ideas that you want to try like a different marketing plan or, or anything like that? Yeah, I think I would probably do a lot more advanced review copies to generate reviews right off the bat. One of the people that did an advanced review of my book, she, uh, she, she did the review and she posted it on Amazon. But I think if I had more of those reviews right off the bat from people who had read it before it was published, that would kind of kickstart it. So I think I would do that, and I think I would do more, uh, more video, uh, more video trailers leading up to it. I did one video trailer, and I, I did it like two weeks before I released the book, and that probably wasn't the best idea. Uh, so I would probably do some video trailers, uh, you know, like a month or two. Uh, or more before the book's actually released and really hype it that way as well. And, you know, maybe maybe try some other venues for promotion. I'm still I'm, I'm still working on Goodreads. I'm still trying to figure that one out as far as promotion. It's uh, that's kind of a different animal. So I'm I'm still learning on that one. But uh, uh, being being adventurous and uh, willing to try some new venues for promoting it. Uh, I think that's definitely something I would be open to. And uh, and the uh, promotional budget, like you mentioned, Philip, uh, I yeah. think that's definitely something I will do different this time around. Philip, have you fucking figured out Goodreads? Because I'm still kind of baffled. <laughs> uh, my feeling on Goodreads, uh, this is what some people have told me, is one one thing you should definitely do is set up an author page yeah. that way at least if you have that I have gotten some reviews on Goodreads but they were reviews from Amazon that were duplicated but that's one thing that people have said to do for sure but as far as actively promoting on Goodreads I know that's one of those things that can blow up in your face because there is a segment of people on Goodreads that I've heard are adamantly against authors kind of interacting with reviews or anything like that, as we've seen happen multiple times with uh, people getting uh, drawn and quartered through the internet. Um, so 
that's definitely something to be wary of. So I'm not, I'm not sure. Uh, people have said, you know, it's good to market on Goodreads and stuff, but I wouldn't go into it like Twitter where you're just like, Hey, check this out or whatever that can result in the, uh, the internet witch hunt happening to you. So you don't, you don't want that to happen. Yeah, I, uh, I I do have an author page on there. I, I've set it up for my author page, and I, I do post my video blogs on there, and I, I have my regular blog linked up to it. But other than that, I, I haven't really done as much as I probably could with it. The question is, though, Charles, is are you on MySpace? Because <laughs> 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 it's popping over there. Yeah, yeah you know, I, I kind of missed the boat on that one. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I think Rob and I, Rob and I are trying to resurrect MySpace and kind of make MySpace the grim, the grim dark hangout on the internet. <laughs> it is pretty, it is pretty grim over there. <laughs> yeah, no doubt, I'm sure it is. Well, the book yeah. is Dragon Shorts, a collection of outlandish tales. Our guest is Charles McGarry. Charles, thanks for hanging out, man. Where can people um, get a hold of you and find you online and buy your your fine uh, books, sir? Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you, Robert. It's, it's been an awesome time with you and Phil. Uh, you can find me on, uh, on Facebook, Eccentric Dragon Press. If you're on Twitter, it's uh, at Eccentric Dragon. And I should clarify, it is Eccentric spelled E-C-C-E-N-T-R-Y-C. So Ooh. it's with a Y instead of an I. And uh, the website is uh, eccentricdragon.com. And for every Writer's Pit edition, we have our um, writer who is in the hot seat. Um, give us a creative prompt to share with our listening audience. This can either be a writing prompt or a writing tip or, or some sort of creative practice that our listeners um, can engage in uh, before the next episode to help uh, hone their literary skills. Absolutely. Yeah, so... I will sit down and I will just randomly write out all the different things that I cannot do in the real world, but I would like to be able to do. And that, that gets uh, the juices flowing in, in terms of, you know, how could I make that happen with magic or what kind of new, new spells or, uh, or even realms would I be able to do that in? But I, I just... I'll just sit down and I'll write a list of, uh, of things that you would like to see happen that can't really happen, but you would like them to. Excellent. Wonderful prompt for getting the creative juices flowing and getting the pen on the paper and getting in the pit and writing some shit. That's, that's, what, it's, <laughs> that's what it's all about. Rob, you did it wrong. Oh. It's, <laughs> it's get in the pit and write some shit. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. That's awesome. You can find us online at facebook.com slash the Grim Tidings Podcast or hook up with us on Twitter at Grim Dark Fiction. You can download us on iTunes or Stitcher. And be sure to join us for next week's program. We'll be joined by Grimdark author and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu world champion, Peter Fugazzato. Until next time, stay grim, stay dark, stay true. We'll see ya.